Awesome. Yeah. Hello. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is Alex, and I'm Bettina. We're both journalists from Austria, as you've already heard. And we actually really met on a bus in, in Vienna. And we're really excited to be here. And we're going to talk about robots and coding and how data is changing the newsrooms um, all over the world, actually. So let's get right started. I want to take you a bit on a time travel. So journalism used to be very handcrafted, very lo-fi. It was a quite closed and gated community. And the job of a journalist basically consisted of talking to people, gathering quotes, and then typing away, like Clark Kent here. Um, but this is actually changing. So nowadays, newsrooms are more like um, looking more like this. And here you actually see a, a picture of a hackathon. Um, and here are journalists cooperating and working together with coders and people from the civic tech community. So this is kind of how journalism is changing, becoming more open, more collaborative, and more technology-driven. And before we go deeper in this topic, a little bit more about us. Um, and uh, Alex, working for netspolitik.org. I work for Wiener Zeitung, as you heard, a newspaper in Vienna. And we both did research. Uh, we were journalism fellows at the Reuters Institute in Oxford, at the University of Oxford in 2017. Uh, Alex's paper was on uh, robots. It's, he was putting Europe's robots on the map. And I wrote a paper about um, data journalism in small newsroom. It's called Bigger is Not Always Better, what we can learn about data journalism from small newsrooms. And you can download the whole paper at the Reuters Institute site. But maybe a bit of the background why I decided to write this and, and do study on that. I also work for a small newsroom myself. Um, Wiener Zeitung is not big. We're maximum 80 people or so. Um, and it's actually the oldest newspaper of the world that's still being published, founded in 1703. You see one of the early um, papers here. And you can imagine it's quite a traditional newsroom. And data journalism is not the priority yet, but um, I kind of wanted to prove that even if you're small and you don't have resources like the New York Times, you still can do data journalism. So a little background about data journalism, it's, it's a term that's quite trendy right now, but it's actually nothing new. Um, there's just a huge amount of data right now, you probably know all of this. Um, there's more access nowadays and faster ways of processing data, and really a lot of free, easy-to-use tools for journalists out there. And I personally think that it's becoming more important um, to explain stories based on data, because the trust in media is quite low these days, and if you have data, you can really prove evidence. And you can open the data also for the readers. Um, but actually, uh, many people asked me when I did the study, what actually is data journalism? Especially the personal surrounding, like friends and family had no idea, but uh, couldn't really think of what, what this could be. So um, I gave them some examples. And I tried to kind of, I don't want to say, Person, uh, customize, personalize the, the example. So this is um, a database done by Corrective. It's a non-profit um, investigative outlet here in Berlin. And you can type in the name of your doctor or the postcode, and it will tell you whether this doctor received money from the pharma industry. So I played around a bit with it, and um, I actually found out that my 
really good friend's husband received some money, and she was one of the people who asked me, what is data journalism? So I sent her a link um, saying, okay, this, this is the money he got, and um, this is data journalism. And she was really interested. <laughs> um, the other example I want to give is um, done by, by Berliner Morgenpost, also here in Berlin, and they're really impressive in terms of what small newsrooms can do in data journalism, and they kind of made a sound installation of how the SPD, the Social Democrats, um, are performing uh, in, in the polls. Maybe you can click, um, Alex. Can you do this? Um, here. Here, yeah. Okay, we no don't sound. have any sound. Can we get some sound? Yes? It's very quiet. But So I sent this to my friend who just joined the SPD, uh, probably destroyed some illusions in, in all of those cases. Also in this case, I sent this to my um, father, who's a real tennis fan, and there's a huge story done by BuzzFeed in cooperation with BBC about Spielmanipulation, how matches are being fixed in professional tennis. And it was a 15-month investigation, and they analyzed data of 26,000 matches. And the code kind of helped to explain um, that this is really happening. And um, yeah, so this is an example of big newsrooms, but the other ones were small newsrooms. And I was really interested how are they doing this? How um, are the news outlets working together? And I talked to a bunch of people at different big and small newsrooms. You probably know all of, of them um, to the right side. The ones on the left are um, rather small ones. And Berliner Morgenpost Korrektiv, I already mentioned, are also rather small. Um, and I did interviews. And my main findings were that most of them, regardless of the size of the newsroom, work in teams. And usually the team was between six and seven people. And it was a team of mixed-skilled people, so coders, designers, data journalism, journalists, sometimes more on the data side, sometimes more on the journalism side, and kind of could show you don't have to be big, a big newsroom, you can still start small with a team that's doing that. And um, a question I often get is whether every journalist needs to know how to code. I would say no, but I think it definitely helps you to get a job because the field is still growing. There are a lot of um, job opportunities for data journalists. And I think everybody, even if you're more a traditional writing journalist, you should know what's possible and who to talk to and who you can cooperate with. So this is a big um, thing and this will be coming more. So even competing um, news outlets are cooperating these days. And um, yeah, now I will hand uh, the word to Alex, who's going to give you some good examples about robot journalism. Great. Thanks so much, Bettina. Well, um, let me say a few words about how I come to this topic. So, for six years, I was journalist at the Austrian Press Agency. It's a small and kind of national news agency, and I was doing all kinds of stories there. I was at the Foreign Desk, but I 
Uh, I, I was working night shifts and day shifts and weekend shifts, and I was writing stories about finance, about local events, I was writing about sports. Um, and very often I was thinking, do I really know what I'm doing here? And, um, you know, as I think every journalist who's working asks himself sometimes. So, and I'm, I was also thinking, very often what we do is, is very kind of fly-by-wire, you have a template, you stick the numbers in, you know, can a robot do that? Isn't, is there not an, an easier way to do that? And um, so in 2017, when I went to Oxford, I just looked at what, I, what all the other news agencies in Europe are doing in this respect. And I tried to get a picture of, you know, what is cool, what is out there. So I found that there's loads of um, uh, automation in journalism already going on. And I, I think many of you have already read a story written by software you just haven't realized. So... I thought it was really cool. I did the research. I wrote a paper about it. And then I thought it would be really cool to do robot journalism myself. Um, so I got, I got some uh, funding from Google and I went to NZZ in Switzerland where I tried to produce some automation myself with the help of a programmer. And I um, tried to do that for three months. And uh, now I can call myself a failed app developer, I think. Uh, anyways, um, I went back to being a journalist, but I'm still writing about robot journalism. I'm, um, you know, trying to stay abreast with, with the field. And uh, I think I'm just going to show you some cool examples to, you know, um, show what is actually out there already. So um, this is a story by the Associated Press. Associated Press is one of the world's largest news agencies. Um, for those of you who are not in journalism, news agencies just play such a central role in, in journalism because they kind of provide uh, basic information. And you find, you find a story by the Associated Press might pop, pop up on you know, any of you know, 10 or 20,000 news websites across the world. So this is um, taken from a small local paper, but it's a story about ExxonMobil, the, the, the oil giant. And um, this was written by software. Um, what the software does, and you can see the, um, the figures I put in orange, uh, this comes directly from a, uh, from a, from a uh, file sheet. Uh, this comes directly from, from, from the financial reporting. This is uh, something the company that is listed on a stock market has to report every quarter. So um, AP automated their quarterly earnings report stories. So they used to cover 300 companies uh, each year. Now they cover 4,000, uh, almost 4,000 companies each year. So they produce, you know, literally thousands um, of, of, of stories on company earnings reports every year. And they also started to automate their sports coverage. So um, leagues, minor league baseball, something that they couldn't cover before with human reporters, they are now doing by software. And this is a pattern that, that goes throughout. So um, news agencies will say, is there something we haven't covered before? Things that we can't cover because it's local or too specialized, they will use automation to produce stories on that. Um, uh, this is an example by the Norwegian news agency. I put this in there because I find it quite interesting. It's a very small news agency. Um, they don't have a lot of resources, but the, um, for those of you who don't read Norwegian, I also made an English translation for that. Um, so. This is a local sports story, um, and um, NTB um, did this last year, and they automated much of their uh, football coverage. And there's 20,000 league games played in Norway each year, and they are, they are now um, able to cover every single one of those games if they want to. Um, and what you can see here, what I find really cool, is that what I put in uh, orange again. Uh, um, this is a data, there is data interpretation in that, so it's not just 
um, software sticking numbers into a template, but it's also um, uh, it goes through, through all the through all the sports statistics of the year, or maybe even some years back, and it gives you some kind of interpretation. It says it's three matches in a row. It says this one striker has uh, scored 14 goals this year already. So um, you're seeing more of the, these examples where. Um, the automation provides insights and already puts the insights into words. Um, so this is really something that human reporters um, also do. Uh, and, and this story, this, this kind of stories, um, what I found also is that the most news agencies just put them out. So it's not, no human is looking over them anymore. There's, they just, um, they just um, pop out the story and this, this might, you know, be on a website um, just within seconds of the game ending. So. Um, it's also about speed. Um, and um, this is an example from, from Great Britain. So Press Association is, is also a very old, very venerable um, news agency, and uh, they've been around for more than 150 years. Um, and uh, just like, um, like just in the last couple of months, they started um, to automate uh, local coverage. So what they did is they said, well, there's all these large government data sets. Um, so can we kind of generate stories for that? And what they do is they, they take those data sets, and this is an example uh, on childhood obesity, and they said, well, can we, in the, in the past, they would have written one story for all of the UK saying this is going on with childhood obesity. Now they take this data set and they produce local stories for each and every paper they have as customers. So what they did here is this is pretty much the way that the machine wrote it, and it's uh, front page material for the Cambridge um, Independent. As another example, the Norwich Evening News, this, the, the, the headline, this is about um, recycling, the headline has probably been written by a human, but the story hasn't. So um, what, what you can already see is um, this kind of automation making it possible for, for news agents to incredibly scale the amount of content, the amount of stories they put out. Um, and you also find that you know politicians uh, will be reacting to stories written by machines. They will, you know, sometimes this is the start of a discussion about something that wouldn't have been been, been the case otherwise. Um, and just let me walk you through some of the findings I had in my paper. So um, by uh, July last year, when I put out the paper, I found that seven out of 15 news agencies are now using automation, some form of automation. That is, so I. Um, I have to say that, in, especially in, in the German-speaking countries, uh, you don't find as much of that as in you know, um, northern European countries and, and, and English-speaking countries. Um, since then, two more have started to work on automation projects, so this is really taking off. Um, the main areas have so far been finance and sports, but now you see examples, you know, news agents saying, can we provide election coverage? Can we do what PA does, um, write statistic stories? Um, and, um, and uh, uh, you know, my, my colleagues at the news agency would, you know, say, but oh, this is just about to replace journalists, you know, this is just going to kill jobs. And I, I, I don't think that is true. That is not what I found when I spoke with all these news agencies. So I think what we're seeing is that automation is a way to provide a very basic story, maybe a first take on a story. Um, it's not, it's not going to be um, the in-depth um, kind of reporting that you want, um, but it's, it's possible to scale content and to mass produce um, a take on, on, on any data set uh, in a journalistic way. Um, and um, 
I also found that aut automated content is not always clearly labeled. So the associated press stories, you can, you, they, they put a, a sentence after every story saying this was produced with the help of Automated Insights, the company that provided this, the software for them. Um, but my, many of the smaller news agencies uh, don't do that. So a lot of the, the automated stories, you wouldn't know they are. Um, and um, well, and um, also it's very interesting about the data. This is maybe something we can, we can discuss later. That uh, it very often comes from third-party sources. So journalistic organizations don't have much control over how this gets produced. But um, I'd say the rise of the robots has only just begun. Uh, and let me just quickly mention a couple of the ethical implications I find very interesting with this. Um, so whatever the robot writes, this is limited to the data set that is there. So any need for further context, contextualizing um, the data for saying what this actually means, um, that is something that the robot can't do. So obviously, human reporters will still be very valuable uh, even for, for, for providing further context for stories written by, um, by software. Um, and the, the question of the data is something that hasn't been covered enough yet. So the Norwegian press agency um, gets the data from the Norwegian Football Association, but that also means that they're dependent on them to some extent. So for me, the question is when news organizations start to automate their content is what is their relationship to the provider of the data? Um, and only I found that only, you know, really those kind of hardcore financial financial um, news providers like Bloomberg uh, and, and Reuters are able to collect their own data, whereas most other news organizations don't have the resources to do that. Um, and um, which brings me to the final point where I'm trying to draw together what um, uh, Bettina and me said, is I think that um, robots and, and data journalism have really um, opened up new fields of work for journalists. Um, but um, and journalists, uh, journalism is, is, is becoming um, more technology-driven. I mean, it, it, it used to be very artisanal, very handcrafted, but now you find that um, um, in, you, know, you can do a lot of cool things, provide value to, to your readers, to your viewers in, in many different ways. Um, and automation in particular can also really help to scale reporting and to, to, to provide local content, to provide specialized content that um, you know, general news organizations couldn't do before. Uh, it also requires a more diverse skill set in the newsroom, as Bettina said. Um, there's going to be more coders, there's going to be more graphic designers, there's going to be more um, um, people doing that kind of thing. So the question we would like to fire back at you is, um, what does this mean for journalism? What um, kind of things are you seeing out there that you would like discussed? And what, what, what new paths do, um, does technology and especially data open for journalism? And uh, we'd like to turn this over to you guys. So the floor is open. <laughs> um, you talked about the side of data journalism where the data is not what is made by the robot, but uh, the robot synthesizes uh, yeah, the message. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but um, we are on the edge of machine learning and artificial intelligence and stuff like that. And so we are not too far away from um, situations where robots are actually 
capable of collecting data, of interpreting reality and putting it into some data sets. And uh, I think this is one of the points where it gets interesting as well as dangerous. I absolutely agree. But I think what we are seeing is that um, the, the question for me is, are news organizations going to do that? Because usually they don't have the resources. You know, if, if I can find a large news organization that, that has, is able to field three coders to do any project, that's already much. So um, I think that very often journalism will take cues from the technology sector. And, and I, I don't know, I don't think, if, the, if anyone is going to produce something that is close to artificial intelligence, I'm not sure it's going to be a media organization. <laughs> I think um, it's not up to them to produce it, but to use the artificial intelligence that is already mm. out there. Mm. I don't know if you yeah. know uh, IBM Watson, for example. Yeah. Everybody could use that. You just have to, uh, to say what it should do, what mm. it should get out of what kind of data information, basic rough data. Uh, and I think we will see that within years that uh, robots are just scanning and crawling the internet looking for news. And um, you were talking about that uh, the most expensive point in that data journalism is collecting the data itself. Yeah. And therefore, um, many of the data journalism we see today uses data from other sources. Mm -hmm. And uh, one, um, one method to reduce the cost of the data is to collect it automatically. And that's what uh, artificial intelligence is doing. And uh, therefore, I think there will be news agencies within years who will start to do that. And I'd, I'd be hopeful for that. I think that could really be something that drives down costs and makes more journalism possible with less resources. But uh, I'm, I'm just very skeptical that we're going to see that in like, you know, maybe not next year, maybe in five years, maybe in 10. It's very unclear, the timeline for that. So a lot of the development that is going on right now that we see is more about producing stuff from data sets than producing data sets. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, my name is Haluka. I'm actually working as a data journalist news developer for NZZ. And I was wondering, with your research, did you find cases where actually like there was some kind of hybrid robot journalism so that like the robot maybe gathered like first insights and then the journalist took that story to the next level because the the, the examples that you describe is like somebody could just argue like well it's great to have like a report on every like local football game but then again is it really that worth is it like okay wouldn't the same information also get to the reader if they just looked at a table and looked at a couple of statistics because basically from what I understood that's how they they feel the stories it's like okay basically a lot of sentences with like spaces in between and then you just put a number in there and well like, yeah. I'm exaggerating no, no, but, no. but there is the question of like okay do we like does automation actually benefit or would it like in the past we would have just said okay we don't have enough resources and that's a boring story so we don't write it in the first place so are we actually producing a lot of content where the question becomes, do we actually need to do that? And do readers care about that? That is, that is a, a very good question. I, I think that's absolutely the approach that you can see in Reuters, for instance, as you know, a very large news, news agency. That they, um, they talk about the cybernetic newsroom. So what they're saying is that um, automation is, you know, they, they do a lot of like one-line snaps, uh, like one-line stories. But um, very often, they use automation just to generate a lead. So the, 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 they have a new 
cool software that they're trialing right now where they, the, um, the software will give them just a, a line. So something interesting is going on in the stock market. So it might say this stock has risen just uh, at an unbelievably high rate this morning. And this is something where the human can pick off, you know, saying, ah, oh, what does this mean? But we as humans, we have, um, we have difficulty sometimes with putting figures, you know, getting figures into our heads. So even something that might give a brief interpretation or put figures in, 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 um, in, in, in words might, might help human reporters build on that. And I, I think they, they do a lot of more um, stories where they enrich uh, a, a, a quick template-generated story with quotes and in interpretation. That is, that is more the writer's approach. I think the Associated Press is more um, you know, pushing out short stories for, for local customers uh, where they really don't interfere anymore with the content. Hi. Um, this question is probably more for you because you talked about data, data journalism in small newsrooms. So, I mean, if you analyze a big data set and you don't omit the correct variables, you get very different results than if you correct, like, omit the variables you should. So I was wondering, like, in the Trump election, no one got it right besides 538 because they, you know, didn't analyze the data right. So how can, like, how can a journalist work around the danger of getting a very different result because you don't know how to work the data set. Well, if one individual journalist doesn't know how to get it right, what's that? I'm, I'm saying when you have a data set, you sometimes don't know which variables mm. also have an influence on that. That's why none of the, none of the other newspapers besides 538 got it right mm. because they didn't you know, look deep enough what could influence the data. I guess it's always good to cooperate with people, like not do it by yourself. In even the BuzzFeed um, case, I think I showed you, yeah. I didn't explain. They were working with statistic professors, so usually it's not only coders. Even then, you should really like have many eyes look mm. over it. Yeah, mm. and that's also something that I think is found in news agencies is that um, they might, you know. Um, have, have two people less typing those short quarterly earnings report stories, but they might have two new people that do data integrity uh, and, and, and mind the data set. And, and you know, so it's also a shift. Okay. We have time for one more question, sir. Yeah. Or Anyone input? here who? Any opinions on that? Dare not speak his name? <laughs> Another one. <laughs> Great. Um, with the news, you often have newspapers uh, collecting information from other newspapers or TV stations or whatever. And uh, when thinking of data journalism, we can get into a situation where automated processes take data who is synthesized by other automated processes and we get a kind of feedback loop thing. Did you get in stuff like that, or uh, do you know examples for things like that happening? There's, there's something that I found really intriguing, and I should have said this earlier, I think. Um, the, so when the so Associated Press started putting out those quarterly earnings report stories in 2014, um, you had people from, I think, the University of Berkeley looking at, looking at that and just looking at how... So they were starting to cover a lot smaller companies, right? So they were saying every company that uh, you know, has... Uh, more, of, more than $100 million returns is being covered now. So they put out these stories, and, and people who looked at the stock market saw that these companies suddenly got more trading volume. 
So you have journalism, like this kind of automated content influencing the level of trading. At the same time, we all know that in, 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 in the stock markets, increasingly machines are being used to trade. So is it, are, are we getting closer to a point where you know, the journalism is automated, the financial journalism is being automated, but at the same time, the trading is also being automated. Are, are those two things reinforcing each other? I, I think that there's not really a clear answer to that, but that could be very intriguing to look at in the future. Oh, we have time for one more question, or we have time for a warm applause for Bettina and Alexander. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Great to have you. <laughs>